welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. I hope all of our listeners out there are doing fantastic as well. The conversation that they're about to hear, we welcome back a couple of content creators that we call friends, very well-researched individuals. But before we get to them, Tim, I want to research your your feelings. How are you today? (laughs) I am doing well. Thanks a lot for asking. Yeah, I'm excited to bring Chris Williamson and Jennifer Taylor back onto the show. They host the podcast called Vanished. And we speak all about the Zodiac in this conversation. It is fascinating. They did some amazing work on the Zodiac case. They did a mock trial, which I think is is just a really unique format. And so we got to talk to them all about the Zodiac and all about sort of an alternative theory. And be sure to check out all of their work at vanishedshow.com. They don't just cover the Zodiac, they cover a bunch of high-profile true crime events. And that was something that was really impressive to me, is that they tackle a topic like the Zodiac, where you think, how can somebody put a unique twist on it? And they do that so successfully. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let us know what you think about it on social media. Make sure to message us or follow us at Crawlspace Podcast or Crawlspace Pod. And hey, as long as you're over there on social media, you might as well swing over to wherever you can leave a great review, a good rating, maybe a little comment there, something to boost our mood for the day. And also make sure to check out Crawlspace Premium. You get ad-free episodes, early releases, and our weekly bonus show. You can subscribe right there in Apple Podcasts, or if you're not an Apple user, you can go to crawlspace.supportingcast.fm and sign up there. Everyone's talking about the weekly bonus show, Tim. It's the talk of the town. All right, everyone. Thanks a lot for listening. We're going to break quick for commercial here, and we'll be right back with Jennifer and Chris. Welcome back to the podcast, Jen and Chris of Vanished. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Doing great. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. How are you guys doing? We're doing excellent. And I was just thinking before hopping on this evening that it's just been far too long since the name D.B. Cooper has passed my (laughs) lips. So thank goodness (laughs) you're you're, you're joining us again and we can finally scratch that itch. That I call DB Pooper. Just in time. Just in Lance time for loves yeah. DB Cooper. Love DB Cooper. Yeah. It's my favorite mystery. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you could probably sense that sarcasm there. Oh yeah. Now we do want to get to Zodiac because you've recently done a series about Zodiac on your podcast, Vanished. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating. So really well done, both of you on that and all of you, whoever uh, else works on the on the podcast. I know you've interviewed several people for it as well. So that was really well done. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, let's ask about your book, uh, your new book about D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I did it on the, the anniversary of the show. So the show was recorded originally on the 50th anniversary of the Cooper skyjacking. And I'd ne- we'd never released a series in one night like that before, and I just decided to dive into it. I probably worked on it for uh, maybe a little inside of six months, and we recorded it. I recorded it over the span of maybe a couple of weeks, and then we just released all three episodes. It's like, I don't know, something like nine hours of content on Cooper, my sort of my journey through the Vortex. And the book is just a, you know, like Rabbit Hole, it's a representation of that. But this one actually has a, a lot more substance um, in it. If you haven't heard the show, it's got a lot of new retrospectives in it. It's got, you know, a lot of people that participated in the book that couldn't make the show. So it was a, uh, it was a really, uh, it was a fun sequel to put out. We stayed, I stayed in aviation. That's sort of where I feel the most comfortable. And uh, it was just sort of a, the natural sequel to the Earhart book, I think. You know, after after releasing that um, the year prior. Well, actually, it was just a few months earlier than that. Actually, not that long. I think I did four two books in four or five months or something like that. It was some ridiculous thing. So it was a lot of fun doing it. You're like Stephen King now. <laughs> yeah. Cranking out the books. <laughs> Not nearly as talented. <laughs> well, I think it's really admirable that the two of you take on these cases that are very, very popular. And mm. and you bringing this approach to it that you don't really hear in other 
forms. Uh, like with Zodiac, you you currently have three episodes on this, and that's right. And you're yeah, and you plan to have more. And you did the Jack the Ripper series as well, correct? Mm-hmm. So yes. What is it? How is how do you approach that as opposed to approaching a, a lesser known? That's t- I mean that's tough. We did do some of that. We have done some of that. I I, th- I would consider Henry Avery a not a very well known case. We covered that. Jen brought Judge Joe Crater into the mix prior to starting season three. We were originally going to start season three with Zodiac and sort of repeat what we did in season two by opening with a well-known serial killer case. And, you know, Crater was brought in and Crater was an amazing case and it was a great add to season three. Uh, It's tough. I mean, I think uh, it's just a matter of what we're interested in and sort of what what hasn't been. How much material is available. Yeah. Because we're limited on on that. Like, if we want to do a, a multi-part series and invite a bunch of guests, like, pe- there has to be people available and books and authors and people that are willing to come on. And so some topics just don't lend themselves. And so we'll just do, like, an episode or two mm-hmm. on those. But the the big ones we like because there's usually a lot of books out there. There's a lot of different perspectives. And that's kind of the point of the show is to challenge perspectives. If there's really just one kind of source out there, it's it's fun to cover, but it doesn't really lend itself to like the trial aspect because there's no like competing um, ideas out there. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's perfectly said. I mean, I think that's that's very true. I mean, we have to. It's got to be. There's got to be enough substance to it for us to be able to to cover it. You know, as in depth as we do. And if if it's not as is if the bone is not as meaty, then you know we'll do it. You know, we'll do it like a single episode or something that's really fascinating to us. And really, I think most of the cases we cover, maybe with the exception of Crater you probably could do like an entire season on. I mean, even with Crater, I think you could probably do an entire season on it now that I've sort of unpacked it a little bit more. But yeah, those are cases we just, we love and we're sort of like dying to cover ourselves and put our spin on it. Very cool. Well, would love to talk some Zodiac because I think you, you've you really taken, and I'll speak for myself here, what I know of the case and uh, turned it on its side. Hmm. Because I don't think I had heard the name Don Cheney before I started listening to your series. Um, so before we get too deep, can you tell us a little bit about the case, maybe a little bit about the murders, and uh, possibly a little bit about the suspect known as Arthur Lee Allen? So the Zodiac Killer case was a was 1968, I think the first crime was in December 1968, and then it went through the summer of 1969 as officially. Um, as with any uncaught serial killer, you never really know. And so part of what we do in the show is discuss crimes that maybe have never been attributed to the Zodiac Killer before, but maybe they should be. But there are four um, kind of canonical, the term that they use, crimes in December of uh, 1968, David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen were shot and killed um, on Lake Herman Road. And then I think the next one was in July of 69. That was the Mike mm-hmm. Mageau and Darlene Farron. That was Blue Rock Springs. Again, they were it was a couple. Both of these were couples, kind of lover's lane type situations where uh, somebody drove up and apparently gunned them both down and then left in the first crime. Both victims passed away. They were 16 and 17 years old, children, really. Um, And the second one, Michael Mageau, did survive. He was 19. Darlene Farron was 22. Um, And Michael Mageau was able to give some version of a... a, He he, he did, you know, get a glimpse of the killer, although we don't have a wonderful description for obvious reasons. It was pretty traumatic. It was dark. And then in September of 69, we have the Lake Berryessa attack, which is where the, the costume that people, if people have seen, you know, pop culture references to the Zodiac killer with the... Um, that that square box looking hood almost looks like he's wearing a like a paper bag, except it's black fabric with the red, you know, crosshairs like that came from uh, Brian Hartnell's uh, witness statement. He and his, um, I guess, girlfriend, Cecilia Shepard, they were stabbed to death at Lake Berryessa. Hartnell survived. Cecilia Shepard died a couple of days later. Um, and then the last uh 
official Zodiac crime was in October of 1969. That was Paul Stein, and that was a cab driver. Uh, somebody got into his cab, uh, shot him, tore a piece of his uh, clothing, took it with him, was actually seen by several people, um, including a police officer. Um, got away. That was in Presidio Heights in uh, in San Francisco. That was the only one that had San Francisco jurisdiction. Um, all of the rest were outside San Francisco. So if you've seen the movie um, Toski, he was San Francisco PD. That was the only crime that was actually within their jurisdiction. Um, and yeah, it was it was popularized by uh, Graysmith's book Zodiac, Robert Graysmith, and then that was turned into a movie. And really, Arthur Lee Allen, the the suspect, um, he was popularized by the movie. Um, so that's if you Google it, uh, um, and or if, if you just kind of have a, a surface level understanding of the case, that's that's kind of who most people associate. Uh, who, most people associate him with that case, and that's because of Robert Graysmith's book. He was convinced it was the Zodiac killer. Then there's a lot of other aspects to it. I mean, famously, what really made the case famous were all, were all of the letters. That were sent to the media. Uh, the Zodiac Killer often, you know, he sent ciphers. There's, God, we don't even have time. Like, it's just so much. Like, he sent, um, I think one of the first ciphers he sent, he actually sent four. He called the police several times. Um, he, after the, uh, I want to say, I want to say it was after the Blue Rock Springs murder. He, was that the one where he, like, wrote on the car um, yeah, I mean, there, right. there, there, and and there was God. There's just dozens and dozens and dozens of letters. We will never know. You know, postcards, um, Halloween cards, Christmas cards that were sent to the media, and in particular, um, uh, a reporter by the name of Paul Avery, who is also uh, makes an appearance in the movie. So yeah, and and really, I think that's what makes it such a unique case is all of the correspondence uh, there was also famously a correspondence where um he he would claim to have hidden bombs everywhere um mm-hmm. he in one of his letters he uh he threatened a school bus um a lot of and and in many of his letters he took credit for um murders other than the four that i've just described to you so it's really you know, you really don't know, obviously, because he was never caught. Uh, the, those four are the ones that are kind of officially associated with the Zodiac Killer. Um, there's one in Riverside that was referenced in the letters, the Sherry Joe Bates murder that had taken place in Riverside. Oh, what date? Uh, remind me. In October 30th of 66. So several years before. Yeah. It's a wild, complicated case that has a lot of moving parts to it and so so much that you know if you listen to the series bob mata and i get into a conversation about what evidence is actually evidence Mm -hmm. right you have all of these letters that everyone is like this is zodiac letters are they though how do we know which ones are how do we know which crimes are attributed to him how do we know what evidence to trust and what not to trust i mean and, and you've got people nitpicking this um, from every single corner. You've got DNA from stamps that may or may not be the Zodiac Killer's DNA. You've got fingerprints that may or may not be the Zodiac Killer's fingerprints. You've got boot prints that may or may not be the Zodiac Killer's boot prints. And you have like all these tiny little pieces of evidence that get analyzed to death. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you really just don't know, which is honestly a little disconcerting and, and makes you, you know, wonder if the case will ever get solved. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, you sound just like a uh, an attorney who's defending the idea that we don't know who the killer is. She does, doesn't she? Yeah, she's laying the groundwork. <laughs> yeah, and 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 every time I try to challenge anything in any case, I get smacked back back down to the you know like I it doesn't work <laughs> for me. So yeah, I you know if, when you try to introduce like some of the stuff we talk about into like a you know the written record or the historical record it's it's tough because i've i've got the i always say i've got the the craziest funnest job on the entire show because i get to just sort of like put forth all these alternate histories and all these different what ifs and maybes and i get to talk to some of these people that have devoted so much of their time and their research and their life and their work to trying to figure out the answers to these questions that we pose on the show and, you know, Jen has to has the tougher job, frankly, I think, because she has to sort of defend history as it's written for a lot of these different scenarios, a lot of these different historical cases that we cover. And Zodiac is is no different. But I guess the difference is that Zodiac is is so it's such a wildly crazy 
story and case. And it's got like this historical stamp that's been associated with it now. And it's just, it's just one of those cases, these serial killer cases specifically that just don't, it'll never go away until it's eventually solved. I, I would have hope that it would be solved, but it's not unlike Ripper and some of the other ones that are really big and true crime and some of the true crime genre, uh, you know, some of the cases that are being covered now, you know, it's, it's a crazy case. It's a crazy case. It is. And uh, you both did a great job on, on your trial in the podcast. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. And uh, I was definitely drinking some of the Kool-Aid um, about the uh, <laughs> the circumstantial evidence, and I know it's circumstantial. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's a good, a very good point. Um, so, as far as a definitive answer, I guess let's start there and mm-hmm. ask um, about DNA because it came up a few times, and I'm just curious uh, where that stands. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question, Jen. Do you have thoughts on that? I mean, I have my thoughts. Sure, I'll give them after. Uh, so. It honestly depends on who you ask. Um, the DNA that the police have, have has obviously not been connected with anyone. Um, if you talk to somebody that very strongly believes that they know who the killer is, or if, or particularly that they think Arthur Lee Allen is the guy, uh, they will tell you that the DNA is not the Zodiacs. Um, and it's hard to say, honestly because of the way that DNA is. Um, a lot of people kind of see it as like this magic bullet that's able just to solve, you know, whatever case. And that's not always true. Uh, my understanding is that, well, not my understanding, the DNA that they have did come from the letters. Mm. Um, and what I'm not as clear on is what p- portion of the letters I had always kind of been told that it was from like the stamp, but I I don't know if we actually know with 100% certainty. I know that there is a list out there of different letters that have been sent off to different labs. Um, and uh, it's it, a really big one, the one that ended up on all of the documentaries. They do have like a partial DNA mm-hmm. profile that could be from the Zodiac Killer. It came from one of the letters. Um, but then you have to ask yourself, is this an authentic letter? There are researchers that will fight over whether or not it is an authentic letter. There are researchers that will fight over, well, could that actually be the, the Zodiac killer's DNA? Didn't he hand, didn't he use gloves when, um, when he handled all of his letters? And there are, there are letters that, you know, there's one letter in particular that has a palm print on it that people will argue could, can't possibly be legitimate uh, because none of the other Zodiac letters have any prints on them. So this must have been a copycat who wasn't wearing gloves. And it's just, it's so, the arguments get so technical. And I will just tell you from you know, just my opinion and from my experience, um, I don't think that there's enough to definitively say that the the DNA that they have is definitely the Zodiac killer. However, if a good suspect shows up, that is otherwise a good suspect and their DNA matches. I mean, all of a sudden something that doesn't look like it, you know, like may, may be related, may not. Well, once you have a match that changes things. So it's, it's just one of those things that we won't really won't know if or how important it is until it actually matches somebody. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything at all. And I was really hoping, speaking of DNA, once the Golden State Killer was arrested, I think everyone was really hoping that they'd be able to use those same genetic genealogy methods to be to be able to find him. Um, but I think that that's not that's going to take a lot of additional testing. I think they need more samples. I think they need more DNA. I don't think that there is a, any guarantee at all that the partial sample they have belongs to the Zodiac Killer. And I don't know if you should quote me on this, but I think you actually need a full sample to do the genetic genealogy stuff. I don't know if you can do it on a partial. Maybe you can, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure that you can. I just got to ask a quick question about the DNA samples. If they're coming from letters that have been sent, Mm -hmm. isn't that, I mean, that's obviously extremely circumstantial. You yes. can even if, yeah, yes. if you were able to match that to somebody, you're not getting really anywhere because it could just simply be somebody who wrote a letter mm-hmm. just or just, handled them right. 
or handle somewhere along yeah. the lines of I, a transfer. But again, it depends on what other evidence you have mm-hmm. against the person. Because if you find somebody that otherwise has great evidence that connects them to the crimes and their DNA happens to be on one of the letters, that's that's not great for that person, right? <laughs> right. Where are you getting the evidence that's linking them to the crime? Right. No, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's one of those things is it's hard to answer the question of how important is the DNA because the DNA is never going to stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to look at it with everything else that you have. Yeah. Okay. So then it, it clearly, it must not match Arthur Lee Allen or any other suspects. No, it doesn't. Right. Right. Okay. No. Yeah. That we know of. And I don't know if there's more than one sample, but they don't match each other as well. I take it. Yeah. Nothing is matched so far that, that I've seen that I've read uh, from the people that I've talked to everything that we've done, you know, sort of post investigation now that I've seen on my side. I haven't seen any kind of DNA that matches, you know, um, unequivocally or even close. And that's kind of why it puts this case in a, like Jen said, it's it's an almost entirely a circumstantial build for this whole thing. No matter who's, you know, being pushed as a suspect or a theory, uh, unless you have something really concrete like that, it's going to be tough to put the rest of it on. But if you're building a case of circumstantial evidence and then you get lucky and DNA comes through somehow down the line and it happens to match happens to match your suspect or you know a theory that you've been putting forth and i think that's going to be it's it's going to be that much more powerful on top of everything else that you've already built so it's like it's like all the circumstantial evidence that they have for for tiger for instance for the castaway theory for Earhart. let's say they found the plane off of nick and Mororo tomorrow then it's like well it's obviously a slam dunk and guess what we've got all this other evidence that built up to this moment of finding the plane i think the dna discovery if it's ever made i think it'll be something along the lines of that well, I mean, DNA is still circumstantial evidence, especially in a case like this. Um, very few things are direct evidence. It's in, in your example of, oh, they found Earhart's plane. That's pretty direct evidence that Earhart's plane went down in a specific location, um, absent whatever environmental factors that may have moved it slightly. Um But w- when you talk about DNA, that is still circumstantial evidence. Um, especially when it comes to touch DNA. You still have to explain, if you're the state, how that DNA got there and why it's matched to this person. And you have to explain that the reason why it is there is because they committed a crime. Right. That's not always easy to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's my point to that, I think, is just... um... You know, if you're building if you're building the rest of this case, let's say DNA is we're saying obviously DNA is not uh, a slam dunk necessarily. But if you're building the rest of the case and a lot of it adds up and then you have DNA on top of that, even though it's not, you know, it's not maybe not a slam dunk, that's going to generously help your case. Yeah, it's going to generously help because it's like you're you're building, you're building, you're building. And then you take this this really big thing and put it on top of everything else you built. Um, Yeah, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt, I don't think, in that case. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. So Arthur Lee Allen is the guy from the Zodiac movie um, that Robert Graysmith sort of pointed at. Mm -hmm. And he had a friend named Don Chaney. So these guys were actually friends. Well, they were like more 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 well, acquaintances yeah. than friends. I mean, Don Ch- they were they were connected through I think it was Cheney's brother who was a roommate of Arthur Lee Allen or something along the lines of that. So it was like a they knew each other, they had hung out around each other a few times. They weren't like really close friends, but they definitely knew each other enough to where, you know, it was sort of like uh oh, okay, meet meet my friend and then they sort of connected and made a little bit of a a friendship there. So they definitely knew each other for sure. Odd people. I'll I'll grant you that both very odd people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and Cheney Cheney's the one that turned Allen in. I mean, in the it's it's well documented in the film. That's accurate. Cheney was the guy who brought Arthur Lee Allen to the table for authorities, which then was really what Robert Graysmith's book heavily relied on in implicating Arthur Lee Allen. So Cheney really sort of starts this ball rolling of all this not potential evidence, but just the story rolling and kind of going into the the favor of Arthur Lee Allen being pointed as like, the, you know, the main suspect. Yeah. I mean, it, if he was wrong, then he really, 
I mean, uh, Arthur Lee Allen wasn't wasn't a great guy, but if he was wrong, he crucified you know he crucified him in the press and in pop culture because everybody who's anybody, if you don't have a lot of information on it, you think, oh, Arthur Lee Allen. It's said on our show multiple times before we even name drop Allen or Cheney in the show. It's said by a few of our guests, like, oh, I just I thought Cheney was or I thought um, Allen was the guy, you know, because that's what everybody yeah. everything points to. So it's. You know, it didn't really take a whole lot, but but Cheney sort of masterminded at least that part of it. We know for sure uh, turning over Allen and what he may have masterminded prior to that or up to that is sort of the story that we tell in trial by jury. Well, Drew Beeson tells in trial by jury and I try to present basically. The Zodiac had five confirmed victims. Victims. Correct. Yes. Uh, victims. Right. Yes. Seven. If you can if you also count the attempted murders. Right. right. Okay. Right, right. Okay, so yeah, we'll say seven. That's still pretty low in the it's, serial killer, I guess, very. count. Right, and that worked for him. That worked in in his favor because the ones that had been caught, like Samuel Little mm-hmm. and John Wayne Gacy, you know, go down the list of the ones that have been caught that have been in double digits. Ted that's Bundy. them, Ted Bundy. That's them acquiring and stockpiling evidence that they're not not aware of mm-hmm. sightings eyewitnesses you know blood sample you know just everything is just kind of stockpiling what what's your thoughts on that was that something intentional that this person maybe had considered i'm if i if i go too far i i Possibly. I think that's possible, honestly, because whoever the Zodiac killer was, he made an effort to kind of countermeasure all of the, at least the methods that were known in the 1960s um, for getting caught, right? He's trying to, I mean, he wrote in letters that he had done something to his fingertips that he wouldn't leave fingerprints. Um, He's doing the things that he knows how to do. Now, I say that because they didn't know about DNA in the late 1960s. Um, so I, I've, I've, one of the things that Don Chaney says is he would have me lick his stamps. Like, n- why would he do that? He wouldn't do that. You didn't know what DNA was in the 60s. He wouldn't do that. Um, but there is evidence, though, that the Zodiac Killer did, tr- you know, was actually quite good um, at fooling police. And I personally think that the thrill for him came not from killing but from being able to manipulate the public in the way that he did. Agreed. And once he had committed the murders that got him into the media and he had everybody's attention with his letter writing and his threats, I think that that is what he really wanted and what he really enjoyed. And so I I tend to think he doesn't have as many victims as he claims. And I tend to think that, and I think there's a very good um, thought. He may very well have been like, look, I keep, pushing my luck like this, I'm not always going to be so lucky, but I can keep writing letters anonymous, anonymously um, until the day that I die, you know? And maybe he did. I mean, that's that's kind of, to Jen's point, so I, Lance, you mentioned um, the number, right? Five. It's relatively low. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but it, it's factual. It's a relatively low number for a serial killer of this magnitude. I'll use that term lightly, right? But the case is a huge case. And I, I thought the same thing. And then I started talking to some people that we had on the show, like Ross Jirasi and, and, and you know, uh, a couple other people that we had on the show that talked about, well, he may actually have been killing for a lot longer than what is canonically known, right? It historically written. And if that's the case, well, then that takes his numbers and really dials them up into a territory that few have really matched. You know, if, if, we're, if we're applying everybody to Zodiac, and that's, I know it's a broad thing, but if we're doing that, then that's... Uh, that could be, you know, that could lead. So looking at some of these cases could lead to some of that potential DNA evidence, maybe that we were talking about earlier that may not be involved in some of the canonical ones, but maybe something with the Ray Davis case, you know, in Oceanside of 62, you know, maybe something like that uh, could lead to a breakthrough in the case. So that's sort of the direction I walked with it. I thought, well, if there's only five, thank God there was only five. And, you know, we don't know why he stopped or what made him stop. But if there's more than five, if this guy was killing for almost a decade instead of a year that's documented, then that should be known. That should there should be pressure there. And these cases for the unsolved, the people that are involved in it, they should have some kind of closure too. you know, people like you know Ray Davis and his family and everything. There's not really anybody around to, uh, you know, to really know about some of these victims anymore. And so, 
you know, I just sort of thought it would be an interesting angle. You know, taking a cue off his line in one of the letters, I see you stumbled upon, you know, my Riverside activity or whatever the case is. He's very vague. It's very, we sort of talk about that in the show, but I look at what, what, what is the opportunity or what is the possibility rather that this thing could have been much worse than historically written. And that's where we start our investigation really on my side. So is it weird that Tim sends me a box of stamps so I can lick the stamps for his letters and I have to mail it's them probably back? probably very weird. You should probably, yeah, you should probably stop giving DNA samples and just get him to get some stickers for you instead, you know? They they make, you don't even have to lick stamps at all. You can just put well, water. Well, we like to, Jen. So just don't even, yeah. No, Jen, you and I should talk offline about this because I'm and nervous. That's awesome. <laughs> So Cheney licked Alan's stamps or vice versa. So they were. Wait, there's no. That's what he said. So that, so that didn't on. happen. Oh, okay. So. That's what he said. It came up a couple times that Cheney was a liar. Mm-hmm. What was he lying about? Maybe everything. Verifiably certain things. Mm-hmm. Right. And the That's big right. one that we talk about on the show is he absolutely lied about the timing of the supposed conversation with Arthur Allen. He initially told police when he first came to police, he said, hey, I had this conversation with my friend and it was really creepy at the time. But now I see all these things happening and I want to let you know mm-hmm. that I had this conversation with my friend. It was January 1968. I know for sure that that's when it was, he says, because it was after Arthur Allen had gotten fired from his job and he was upset that he had gotten fired and he's talking about his favorite book, um, which was The Most Dangerous Game and how he really um, identified with uh, the killer in that story, the hunter in that story. And he goes on to talk about how he would kill people and how mm-hmm. he would do, you know, couples on lovers lanes and and how if it were him, um, you know, a good way to do it might be to tape a flashlight to your gun. And maybe he would call himself Zodiac, like all of these things that if that conversation truly took place is damning red flags. Yeah. Very damning. Mm-hmm. Um, damning of course, Alan. he's not coming to police until 1971, mm-hmm. um, which is after all of these crimes take place. So that's, you know, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, is if this conversation did happen, did Alan tell Cheney things that Cheney could only know through that conversation or is it things he could have picked up in the media? That's one of the things we talk about. But we know for a fact he was lying about the timing of that conversation. Or maybe, I mean, I guess it's possible that he could have been mistaken. I don't think so, though, because as it turned out, Alan hadn't been fired from his job until um, later in 68, March of 68, I think. Mm-hmm. And so he changes it. He said, and, and it's actually not until later, because um, he was very consistent with police that it was January 68. Later, he's doing interviews for documentaries, and he is kind of confronted with this inconsistency. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. it was January of 1969. Um, there's only a very small window of when it really could have been, because he leaves San Francisco in January of 69. It can't be any later than January of 69. And he says that he was positive that it was after this guy had been fired from his job, which was in March of 68. So he was incorrect about the timing. Mm-hmm. Most people, even people that even Drew, who we had on our show that believes that Cheney is the guy, I think most people kind of concede that, no, that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. He has to be making something up there. Yeah. Well, what if he was making it all up then? Yeah, that's sort of what I what I say is is maybe he was making everything up. Maybe Drew's got a really interesting point he makes toward the end of the show. Really, well, he, he makes it a couple times in within trial by jury, if I'm not mistaken. And he, he talks a lot about um the reasoning, you know, why you have to look at why Cheney would want to do this in the first place. And he talks about this guy that's so smart he's smart wants to be the smartest guy in the room we sort of alluded to that earlier with the letters and the ciphers and all that jazz and maybe the ultimate get here for this guy is like jen said not necessarily the murders the acts of the murders themselves but it's it's the ciphers it's the mystery it's leading the public on and then maybe police right playing these games exactly and maybe the ultimate game you know is inserting yourself into the case uh, when you are the actual one that everybody's looking for. There's a really great story that we hear about in season two regarding one of the Cooper suspects, Richard Floyd McCoy. And he essentially pulls this Cooper heist copycat deal uh, like five or six months after the Cooper skyjacking. But this time he gets 500 grand 
right? And he gets, you know, he gets turned in and all this crazy stuff happens. But one of the things he does in the story is he after after he pulls the skyjacking, he gets back to his house and you know, he's had the money for a couple of weeks or whatever and they're still looking for this copycat skyjacker and it's him, but he gets a call when he gets to when he gets back home and it's the National Guard and they want him to actually volunteer on mission to go look for himself like nobody knows who he who he is and so he actually signs up and volunteers on mission to go look for himself which is like the most insane cool badass story in, in the cooper realm but if this is a zodiac thing and this is the same sort of situation then this is a guy that put up right put himself right into the midst of the investigation and it's not uncommon in these historical mystery cases we see it kind of happen time and again and i don't i don't think Knowing what I know about Zodiac, I really don't think that would be above, you know, you couldn't really couldn't put that past him, you know, someone that could, had the intelligence level to at least attempt that. Now, whether or not he was would have been successful or not, well, I guess we'll never know. But yeah, I mean, I think it fits. It's an interesting twist. And I think uh, it fits right into Zodiac's MO potentially, in my opinion. Well, I apologize if this was already touched upon before I got distracted thinking about my joke about Tim sending me stamps to lick, but uh, wasn't, wasn't uh, Cheney tested? Wasn't his DNA tested through a voluntary DNA uh, sample yes. that he gave? Yes. Well, so again, I think that depends on who you, uh, when I talked to Richard Grinnell, who's very much more knowledgeable about the oh, case yeah. than I am. Yeah. He's like, he said, I think there's actually some disagreement over whether or not he did give that sample. Mm, see, um, I heard he did, I, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah. Or not, maybe not whether or not he gave the sample, but whether or not it was actually tested um, against the sample that they have. So I will say this, whenever I talked with Richard Grinnell, both on and off the record for the show, what he said was if they wanted to clear him, or um, or if they wanted to implicate him, they could have. So I guess Richard told me, I guess now that I'm thinking it through, Richard told me that they do have his DNA. What I don't think we ever got was like a public statement mm. of DNA doesn't match. It was kind of just assumed that it doesn't because if it did, they would have arrested him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that makes sense. Right. I think that's the case with a lot of the suspects too. They probably do a lot of this stuff behind the scenes and like it's not even worth mentioning, you know, like, oh, we've tested, you know, suspect, a, B, C, D, and all all the all the letters really when it comes to this case and like Cooper and all that stuff. Yeah, I I think it might matter very minutely if you're thinking about the person volunteering the DNA. What mm-hmm. does that tell you? If this person is actually the perpetrator, are they going that far to insert themselves in well, the investigation? So that goes back to Drew will make the point that that's why he said I licked the stamps because he didn't actually lick the stamps. It doesn't make I mean, maybe he did. But why? It makes no sense that he would have done that in the 60s. It makes no sense that if Arthur Lee Allen was the sole Zodiac killer that he would have asked a friend to lick the stamps because there's no reason to ask that question Mm -hmm. of somebody. Um, And so Drew's theory is if he's the guy and he's voluntarily giving DNA and then he's saying, by the way, I licked the stamps, it's because he's kind of trying to give an explanation because he thinks his DNA is going to match. That's what Drew will tell you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it's a cover your ass. It may, I mean, sort it of makes thing. sense. It makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about the circumstantial evidence in regards to Cheney? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was some interesting things, including uh, his Air Force background and uh, his engineering uh, history mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, he sort of had a lot of touched on a lot of the different. I guess, background requirements to do some of the things that Zodiac, uh, you know, did during the, you know, the whole fiasco, you know, he obviously had the, the military background is the one thing that everybody talks about, you know, because of the wing walker shoes and some of the prints that were found at various scenes potentially. Uh, But, you know, the sizes are always off. Something's always a little weird about that. Uh, He mentions in the show and uh, in a lot of the off the records, talks a lot about the drafting skills and the potential for someone who was highly adept at at drafting mechanical engineering, maybe. You know, he's not the only person. Michael Cole, who was on our show during this first segment, uh, part one, talks a lot about sort of, you know, some of the ciphers and kind of, you know, the intelligence level that might 
it might take for someone to create these from scratch essentially at that time uh you know there's no there's obviously there's no ai and chat gpt at that time so they have to like they have to go through this whole process and do it from the ground up and so cheney has a lot of these potential um you know background requirements i guess for this he's also a captain of or the president of one of the car clubs at like Cal Poly Pomona or something, which ties into uh, directly, not directly, but ties into being in the area roughly 20-ish minutes or so from Riverside where Sherry Joe Bates was murdered. You know, that's, again, very thin, but I feel like, you know, they're they're sort of kind of building the circumstantial case to support, prop up the idea that Cheney, when you tie all that into the mastermind idea and the two-in-one theory uh, with Alan as the patsy, that Cheney makes the most sense. And so that's sort of what we try to present as as tightly as we could it's such a wide net but you know we try to go down as tightly as we can and it's it's tough sometimes just on the ciphers because we didn't get to talk about that in zodiac or and sorry in vanished yeah i think just my personal theory that i think that there's a reason why none of his ciphers like that there wasn't anyone that was able to like completely solve all of the ciphers i actually think that there's a possibility that is because the ciphers were done wrong Mm. right that there's not a solution to them it's impossible and if that's the case if that's the case, I think that that messes up your profile of somebody that's just genius. You didn't make an unbreakable cipher. You made because you're a genius. You made an unbreakable cipher because you didn't know what you were doing. You got the key wrong. You screwed it up when you made it. That's just I wanted to throw that theory. So out my, there. my my argument to that is I know I know programmers in code that write code incorrectly on purpose all the time to for penetration test for reverse penetration testing and stuff like that. So if this was a guy, obviously we don't have computers back then. It's computer code. That's computer code, though. Well, That's I mean, it's, ci- it's than... ciphering. I mean, it's kind of along the same lines, I think, in my in my mind. I mean, if you're if you've got a mind for that, you can you could certainly know how to if you're intelligent enough to write incorrectly. I mean, it's very possible that he could have just broken written code that was not right or wrote in, written ciphers that wasn't accurate. I don't know. I mean, I'm throwing it out. I but... also tend to think that the genius serial killer is a myth. People yes. also said that about Ted Bundy, that he had this massive IQ. He didn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, just of what we know of serial killers generally, they tend to be given almost superhuman qualities that they don't deserve. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is really just luck. Um, and because of the nature of serial killings, it is very difficult to catch the perpetrators um, because there's no connection with the victims. And in just whenever you have somebody that's gone uncaught for so long, you tend to give them these superhuman qualities. Does that mean that I think that there's nothing to the idea that he may have had some math skills, that he may have had some coding skills, that he may have been exposed to this? No. It's also not impossible to teach yourself some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, But I... I I tend to think that overall we give the guy too much credit, but I'm totally willing to be swayed the other way. (laughs) Uh, I just, the idea that he was in the military, that he was a genius and that all, you know, that he was an engineer and it it, is all from the letters and from the ciphers and from the fact that he wasn't caught. Mm -hmm. I I just don't know if we should read too much into that. Yeah. That's a good point. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Jen, I'm glad that you had mentioned that because that was actually what I was going to say when you hear the word genius, and you followed up by saying you didn't cover the ciphers in the in the uh, series, right? And that's something mm-hmm. that is notable. And mm-hmm. I was curious if that was we intentional. We ran out of time, really. Yeah, and so it, but it's also so. I wouldn't have wanted to cover them without getting into like, okay, let's look at each one. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look at all of them. Let's look at what they say. Um, and, and there's so much theory that surrounds the ciphers. Um, and something Richard Grinnell mentioned whenever I interviewed him is he was like, you because of just the nature of them, you can take those ciphers and you can use them to support pretty much any theory you want. Mm-hmm. You know, someone like a, a big a common one is for someone to say that they found a suspect's name in the cipher. He's like, you can find anyone's name in that cipher in those ciphers. Mm-hmm. You know, like try hard enough, you will find evidence in the ciphers. Yeah. But but someone with an interest in that kind of thing had to have put them together. Sure. Oh yes. Yeah. Someone who certainly thought he was smarter than everybody else put them together. I'll give you that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what about the idea that they worked together and Alan was a a patsy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't know. I mean, I know Jen's got strong feelings on that too. I mean, I look, I, I think this is possible that 
you know, if I'm going, if I'm going to go all in on this and I'm going to say that, you know, I'm going to agree with, with Drew and, and the fact that Cheney was sort of the mastermind behind this whole thing. And I think Cheney saw something in Allen. You know, there are a lot of cases where people will sort of link up uh, a lot of serial killers. I mean, you have accomplices, which it's, it's outlined pretty well on the show. Again, a couple of times people talk about it on the show. I think Bob Mata talks about some of that in your conversation part three up to 40 percent of serial killers have had accomplices at some point yeah so mm-hmm. that tracks that's a psychologically to me that's that's a very shocking number 40 percent is a lot is a big number so i i look at that i look at some of those statistics and i look at sort of what you know drew is saying and the idea that hey this guy you know if we're going to assume this guy was pretty much smart enough to think of everything then he probably would have if he's inserting himself into the case and he might have actually designed a patsy you know a patsy role for it and he probably saw arthur lee allen as the perfect patsy and it just worked out his background is terrible he was convicted of some horrible crimes and he saw it as an easy pin and turns out historically speaking pop culture wise he was right because everybody who's anybody like i said thinks you say zodiac everybody says arthur lee allen for the most part i mean the majority i think it'd be pretty overwhelming if you polled so for the most part he was successful there and i think it was just one of those those instances where he probably saw that the end was near. I mean, maybe he was worried about that or wanted to have a plan B, an escape route. And I think Arthur Lee Allen was his escape route for lack of a better summation, you know, and that's sort of kind of what Drew posits in the show and what we try to present, you know, the idea that they were working together, that, you know, sick minds think alike, unfortunately. I think it's impossible. I just think it's, you know, as I mentioned in the show, at the time of the murders all except for one mm-hmm. don cheney was living four hours no not four hours six six hours six hours away. ish hours away yeah six yeah 400 miles yeah and and and, and alan was you know is in the city mm-hmm. and I, I just i don't know i'm not saying it's impossible i'm not saying that it didn't happen the way that drew posits that it happened but mm-hmm. all of the letters were postmarked from san francisco haven't you seen Scream? There's always multiple killers. <laughs> Every <laughs> single time, except for one. Yeah. Well, not for the spoilers. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jim. Sorry. It's okay. Um, oh, he has to not only go, he has to travel not only to actually commit the crimes, but to mail all of the letters, mm-hmm. too. And so that's where Drew's like, well, that's where Worley Allen was maybe helping. Maybe he was mailing the letters for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, maybe. Who am I to say it didn't happen? I don't have any evidence that it didn't happen. Yeah. But I mean, I I guess I don't know enough about like an analysis of all of the um, serial killer accomplices. Mm-hmm. I know that, um, I, I mean, I, I know a little bit about the John Wayne Gacy story because uh, of Bob, um, Bob Mata. And but like his associates were literally living in the house with him. They were right there. He could control them mm-hmm. because of the proximity. Um, it seems very dangerous and risky to me to have an associate that you're trusting with such a dark thing. And they're seven hours away from you in a way that you can't keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. You can't control them. And so it just seems implausible is all I'm saying. But I'm not saying it's impossible or that it, I have no evidence that it didn't happen that way. I don't know. It just seems kind of a stretch yeah i mean i i I would agree with that i mean that's those are things that those are valid arguments and i my goal was just to sort of present this as this idea that look we we don't know what we don't know and like in a lot of these cases and drew has done a, a great job of putting together i think building a circumstantial case he believes it with all of his heart and soul that Cheney was the guy or responsible for this persona that was created. It was more of a persona as opposed to just one single guy. Uh, you know, I think that what really tipped me off and, and got me started with this whole thing and, and why I wanted to add this case to season three was because two things really. Uh, one I mentioned earlier was the potential for this to be much worse than it was. I think that we owe the victims, we owe the families of those unsolved crimes. You know, if, if we can link them to Zodiac definitively, then that's that's a that's a you know, a case closure and we, we could use that. And the, the second is just the uh, enticement of the idea that this guy, yeah, was a persona, was more than one guy. And starting to hearing, you know, statistics and all these things and talking to some of the people like Christy Hawthorne, who was on the show, like Ross Rossi, who was on the show, who all outlined very 
very compelling cases for some of these things like Ray Davis. If you compare Ray Davis to Paul Stein and a lot of the, the similarities, those crime scenes, the way he did it, it's really it's compelling to me. And so I wanted to sort of explore that. And the two in one theory sort of fits a lot of how that could have been accomplished. And uh, especially during that time. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of why we decided to to run with it and to sort of open it up. And of course, to to try to do what we could to, you know, shine the spotlight on some of these cases that people don't would never normally think about other than the families of these people. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's really, I guess, morbidly fascinating to think about one of the more prolific serial killers in American history, not in terms of how many victims there were, but in terms of the media coverage Mm -hmm. and how much attention that he, he gained from this and garnered from this. And then it just stops. And that's a really wild concept that all of this attention that this person seemed to be craving up until that point and doing it through violence and taking people's lives just stopped. Mm -hmm. So if this is something that you can develop the two of you into a greater story, maybe he didn't just stop. Maybe there are other victims out there that you'll find Mm -hmm. out later on because you're shining this brighter spotlight on the story and you're trying to dig a little bit deeper into some of the minutia that isn't dug into, which I think kind of goes back to my first comment when we started, which Mm -hmm. was, it's impressive to me that you to take on these high profile crimes in the first place and try to find something that hasn't been said before. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. That's a very great compliment. It's certainly a challenge. I remember whenever Chris and I first started talking about covering Zodiac, we almost didn't because we thought everybody's covered it. Everybody's Mm -hmm. covered it. Every, you know, every angle has been given um, its time in a podcast or in a documentary. Um, And so I was actually very impressed that Chris was able to find a new theory that had (laughs) had not yet been uh, really uh, hashed out in Mm -hmm. the way that we did it. So, yeah. It's a tough show to guest on. You know, the show can be, you know, kudos to everybody who, who comes on the show. You know, we've had some interesting sort of developments happen, you know, post trial by jury episode. And it's it's I would just say that it's it's a difficult show for people to guest on because this is a show that if you're going to sit in on the trial by jury segment, you know, you're sort of you're really exposing, you know, yourself, your work, your research, you know, everything sort of to intense scrutiny because Jen is fantastic of what she does and she finds anything she's going to hammer on it until you know something happens uh and it's not always positive you know for everybody that comes on the show so it's it's a difficult show to to guest on well I try to be nice (laughs) well but you you're you're sort of exposing you know again it's it's like if you're holding something under a microscope and you're asking those follow-up questions well what about this this doesn't make sense elaborate on this that makes people squirm a little bit you know it's tough and it i think the investigators who have you know a, a really strong theory they'll always shine through the ones that don't maybe they won't shine through so much but you know i think a lot of this show is is sort of uh you know not exposing it's a bad word but like sort of like just shining the spotlight on on the entirety of your investigation so the good and the bad you know we're gonna pros and the cons pros and the cons nobody's theory is perfect no it doesn't matter what the subject is or how long you've been studying something no one has it all figured out right um or else it wouldn't still be a mystery Mm -hmm. um i don't think i think the issue is that some people don't don't understand that Mm -hmm. you know when you're into something for as for years and you're in the weeds and you have a theory that you believe in strongly in your mind, the case is solved. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to them as if it is not, they get offended sometimes. Uh, And we've had that happen all across many, many of the subjects that we cover. Yeah. A lot. It does tend to happen. We, uh, we make, we made, made a ton of friends doing this show. I've met a really ton of really cool people that I still talk to sometimes. I've also made enemies, uh, doing this show. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, not on purpose. <laughs> yeah, so. well, it's it's a tough show, and it, it forces us to you know you talk alluding to sort of one of the the comments you made earlier. It's uh, choosing the stories we choose. Do we really want to step into Cooper? Do we really want to step into Hoffa? Is how we're going to end season three, and it might be how we end our lives. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with Hoffa. But like, you gonna like investigate our disappearance? I'm telling you, <laughs> if something happens to us, go back and listen to this. You guys need to investigate what happens to us. Uh, but I'm you just know, gonna put it out. There right now i'm not planning on voluntarily disappearing i have no thoughts of suicide i don't want to start over i i'm happy with my life 
<laughs> yes. Putting that out there. Seems, it seems, yes. it seems a little, yeah, it seems a little uh, played up there. I don't know. Yeah, if we just need it. On, we just need it on record. But no, for, for real. I mean, you know, Jesse James, we're getting ready to step into Jesse James. Uh, that's a really uh, going to be a blast. Uh, we still have Alcatraz this season, you know, and then we're going to end on Hoffa. So, like, it's this giant. Season three has been this giant, like, mountain for us to climb through all these major cases that we're doing. And uh, it's not easy. These are really, these are tough cases to step into because they have such fiery camps, you know, and, and everything. There's so many people that believe so passionately about theories and suspects and the way things actually happened and maybe didn't happen and all that stuff. And so, and we're basically volunteering ourselves. We're inserting ourselves much like, you know, we talk about Don Cheney inserting himself. We're inserting ourselves. And we want to like stand in the middle and like try to keep them apart right. and mediate. And it's sometimes dangerous. And, and you're going to make bit. enemies. Yeah. You're going to make enemies and uh, it's, it's tough, but you know, the show's worth it. At the end of the day, the audience deserves it and the show's worth it. And um, it gives people something to whet their appetite with. So and I think people learn really well when there's sort of a, a debate format like like you guys have and uh and it's done respectfully so yeah uh, if anyone's thank you angry really try i do try you. to do it respectfully yeah, yeah, yeah. that's on them if they're angry at you you're right it's a challenging presentation mm-hmm. and uh, and the the fact that your episodes are not 25 minutes they're you know in the two hour mark makes you feel like you're experiencing something each time it's an mm. it's an experience it really is it's not this Re, re, retelling of something and then you leave it up to people to just make their own conclusions you're actually challenging so I think ultimately people love to be challenged and people get so complacent when they're the not good challenged ones do. yeah yes yeah exactly yeah so, absolutely yeah well that's a that's a great con- and thank you I, that's maybe my favorite thing that anyone's ever said it's not an it's like a, an experience the show it's not a you know and I love that that's really what I wanted I want people to like be able to step into this world Lance, I've been trying to get him to shorten the episodes. You have, you just no. undid months of work. Nah, bro. Now we're going six-hour lengths now for each one. We're doubling up. But would make it an even better experience is if you took the two-hour and forty-five-minute episodes and broke them down into seven twenty-five-minute episodes. You can't walk it back now. It's on record. That better not be cut out. That part. It's going to yeah. be edited. Yeah, very I'm sure. I'm Too sh- funny. I'm sure it will. We, we all heard it. It's it's. <laughs> tough and it's stressful to get like a three-hour episode done in two weeks um but no i there is um it is cool to listen back to it um i i do very much i enjoy listening to it but what i'm just saying is that you know maybe 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 like an hour and a half like we're working on it we're working on it we it's an it's it's an inside joke but i really am trying to uh yeah to to shorten the episode lengths as much as it's so hard for editing as you guys know i mean it's like you go to your show and you're editing it it, it, it really is an inside joke because it's everything it'll be like okay me and you are going to record we need 20 minutes of content and 45 minutes later, we're still recording. Two hours plus later sometimes. Like, I'll have a conversation where we'll start to record, and it's like, all right, we got to eat, like, 45. Yeah, like she said, and it's, like, two hours plus. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but, like, that's how it works. You get on a topic, and you get into stuff, and you want to cover things, and we all, you know, we both get on our rants, and we start talking, and we start going and finishing points, and it, it all of a sudden, you look up, and, yeah, two hours is gone, and it's like, well, we can't have this in the whole you know, we got to cut out most and of And then he's stuff. just like, well, I'm just going to keep all of it. So. And I decided to keep, because it's so good as the editor. It's hard to like cut it and be like, oh, she made excellent points here. I got to cut, you know, I can't cut this. And so we, we end up with these ridiculously long shows. But, you know, I, I have heard from the flip side of that that a lot of people do love the deep dives. So we'll see. Cutting a moment uh, doesn't really have much to do with shortening an episode. <laughs> right. Uh, or breaking them up uh, yeah. as well. So, uh, yeah. You know, I, yeah, I see... I see uh, the arguments for both on that and in the case of the Zodiac. Well, thank you. So spoken like a true, a true neutral. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Is it weird that Tim sends me ciphers and has me fill in some of the letters? Yes. And asks me to mail them back, but only if I lick the stamps and the envelope. What is this Zodiac reincarnated or what? Is this the future? Is this what's going on? This is. Well, uh, Jen and Chris, this has been a uh, a great time speaking with you tonight, and we are uh, we are grateful for your time and information, and uh, really, really your research and entertainment value. This was uh, this was a great conversation. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We had fun as well. Thank you for having us on. And if you guys are still around after you do your Jimmy Hoffa coverage, then you can 
come right back on and talk it's about really it. really we'll big if, yeah. That's a big if. <laughs> we'll be fine. That's going to be a fun one. He'll be fine, yeah. Good good we'll final fine. Uh, parting words here. What's the worst that could happen? 